There are a lot of ways to succeed at something. Most people look at what their successful peers are doing and try to emulate it. As runners, we want to train the same way, eat the same things, and even look the same way as the best in the sport because surely that's what it takes to be the best. But other runners blaze their own path. They even pride themselves on not doing things like everyone else. And when someone tells them they can't, they figure out a way to prove they can. Des Linden is this kind of athlete. Des is a two-time Olympian and became the first American woman in 33 years to win the Boston Marathon on a brutally cold and rainy Patriots Day in 2018. At age 39, she is still competing professionally and will be towing the line at Boston again this year. Welcome to The Planted Runner. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and my mission is to help you improve your running, your mindset, and your life with science-backed training and plant-based nutrition. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Des Linden. You'll learn some of the stories behind her historic Boston win, how her training has changed as she's gotten older, and why she keeps showing up in the sport when some might say her best years are behind her. Des has written a memoir of her life and her incredible career, which will be out April 4th called Choosing to Run. In it, she shares the behind the scenes of her amazing accomplishments, some of which she has never told before. We also talk about why she's always felt a little bit like somewhat of an outsider in the professional running scene and why she wouldn't have it any other way. Before I get into the details, I want to take a moment to highlight my PR team. The PR team is a small group of runners just like you who are working with me and each other to stay consistent, stay accountable, and work towards becoming better runners every day. Not to mention, it's really fun. I'll talk more about the team later on in the episode, but if you are ready to learn more right now, head to theplantedrunner.com slash group. Don't forget to listen all the way to the end for another Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. And now here's my conversation with Des Linden. Welcome to The Planted Runner, Des. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah. So I want to ask you this question. So what is harder? Winning the Boston Marathon or writing a book? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I would go with writing the book because I'm not a professional writer. Hired some help for sure. Um, when it comes to marathoning, I, I know how to go straight forward and it's right foot, left foot, repeat. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a little more dialed into what I know. <laughs> What's it like writing a memoir and you're still in your 30s? You know, memoirs are for people who are like really old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm 39, so I'm going to be uh, rolling over soon. So there's enough content there, I think. And, um, you know, the, the Boston victory 
added an element to my life that I think made a memoir uh, something that was possible and maybe interesting. And um, yeah, I think we were really tight on the the word count and we had the smaller size book because we didn't have enough pages to, to hit that 300 mark. So I think that's appropriate <laughs> for my age. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. No, I got, I have my paper copy right here, so it's uh, not the real one, but, but yeah, it, thank you to your publisher for sending that out. I really appreciate that. So, you know, in the book, you weave in the story of the, the Boston Marathon win in 2018, but you know, every other chapter or so is telling the history, uh, kind of behind the scenes, a little bit of the soap opera details of, of some of the, you know, chapters of your life, which I thought was really, um, interesting. You know, I feel like I've followed you for a while. So I felt like, oh, there's nothing in here that I don't already know. <laughs> and there were some surprises. So why did you feel like it was important to share some of those details? Yeah, I think that's um, that was the point of writing the memoir. If I didn't have an additional story or something to extend on, then, you know, I could go on podcasts and uh, do speaking engagements. And, you know, I think everyone believes they know the story of 2018 win, but there was just so much more behind it um, going on that I, I wanted to share it. And so yeah, I think it's just another look into my life and um, hopefully there's lessons in there that can apply to everyone's uh, life and industry and situation. So it see themselves in those stories, take the lessons that uh, I've learned and, and maybe not have to go through as many ups and downs in their own process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to get into um some training philosophy. So you trained for a really long time with the Hansons and they have their own sort of signature marathon training style. And a lot of it revolves around fatigue. So pre-fatigue, cumulative fatigue, you know, lots and lots of fatigue, which, <laughs> um, you know, you really seem to thrive under, obviously. But you mentioned in the book at a point, it wasn't the right style for you. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, there's certain things at a young age, you recover quicker and you're adapting to a lot more and um, those stresses are productive and, you, you know, you don't bury yourself. But I think you always do have to be adapting and changing your training. Otherwise, the stimulus just becomes um, lost. You know, you don't have those benefits anymore. And so I think I went a little too deep in my career with that same training philosophy um, we made mild tweaks, but really marathon segments were pretty, pretty predictable. And so um, now I'm working with a different coach who happened to be my college coach, Walt Drenth. And, you know, he's he kind of forces me to to learn a lot of this stuff. And, you know, to we've had a conversation recently where we're like, I'm, I trust you. I trust the training that you're giving me. And he's you know, like, no, it's actually a, a team process here. And we have to kind of come to a consensus together and talk about recovery and adaptability and all that. And sorry about that. We got a puppy show That's behind okay. me. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, your dog is doing circles behind you on the bed. It's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think what you just said, you know, I trust you, coach. As a coach myself, that is like the scariest sound, you know, the scariest words <laughs> that I can hear because it's like, wait a second. Yes, I, that's great that you trust me. But, 
it's a two-way street. You can't, an athlete really needs to learn how to make his or her own decisions. They need to really communicate with the coach. They really need to say, hey, this is working, this is not working. But then on the other hand, you know, you hire a coach for a reason because you want them to tell you what to do. <laughs> so, you know, what's what's the relationship like like now for you? Yeah, I mean, I it's exactly what it is. And it's my college coach, so we have a great history. Um, he actually lives six miles down the road from me in Charlevoix, which is just coincidence, but uh, he's, he's very close by and we get together with him and his wife, Kara, and have dinner on occasion. We talk running and then we spend a lot of time not talking about running, which is really awesome. Um, and then the coaching side is sort of a separate side where we sit down and he kind of has the big plan for a buildup uh, laid out, but everything's in pencil. And, um, mm. you know, I think one thing that we've, been trying to get better at throughout these years is uh is communicating to be honest where it's like i'm going to give you the work but let's talk after each session and decide if we need to adjust if we need to push things around um and not just looking at the schedule as in stone and i have to you know get everything done or else this thing isn't working so it's it's much more flexible it's much more uh individualized personalized and you know it's um you know, taking into account a lot of things too, where it's like, I'm 40, thir 39. And there's a <laughs> lot different things that I need at this point than when I was, you know, 26. So um, that all comes into to play. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to get into that. What are those things that you've noticed that you have to do differently? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's less volume, and, you know, more intensity and being more intentional in the sessions that I'm doing. Um, focusing a lot more on speed, even if it's for shorter bouts and uh, just touching on paces that are uncomfortable and, and then making sure recovery is a part of it because that's when the adaptation happens and then start all over when you're ready to run hard again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a lot actually has changed in the distance running world as far as training or or maybe everything old is new again. I don't really know. <laughs> but, you know, you 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 hear about the Norwegian model, you know, they're training at lactate threshold all the time for 1500 races, which seems bizarre. And then, you know, Kira D'Amato talks about training like a 5K runner for the marathon, you know, doing a lot of things that are not bread and butter marathon type things. So do you feel like you're shifting in those kind of ways too? I think so to a degree. I mean, I think the event has changed significantly with the introduction of the new shoes, um, which is kind of silly, but mm. it's just a much faster race. And, um, you know, I think you hear a lot of people talk about the shoes and say, well, I, my legs just aren't as fatigued. So you have to be able to run faster and, you know, they figure out how to factor those in. Um, but personally, I just, you know, I think the thing that uh, is going to make me stay where I'm at or get a little bit better um, is, you know, running paces that are uncomfortable. I'm really good at locking into marathon pace for a long time, uh, but there's no kind of change of pace in there. So that's the stuff I need to work on and, and make that marathon pace feel a little more comfortable again. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. I I did notice that you mentioned the very classic Hanson's marathon workout, the two by six in mm -hmm. your book. I give this to a lot of my marathon runners. So I'd love for you to talk about that, first of all, and then ask, are you still doing it? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a staple workout in the program. I think, you know, it's kind of funny is what makes it special is it's at the end of about 120 mile a week. So you would um, we would do a simulator. 16 miles is pretty typical and then have a 20 mile, 20 miler and then maybe like a, you know, three by three. And, and at the end of the sequence is two by six miles um, with 10 minutes or sorry. Yeah, like a, a 10 minute rest in between there. And so it's a bulky day and in, in its own right, it's a tough workout, but it's really the placement of that workout at the end of the segment um, that makes in that program such a, a tough thing to do. And we would do it at five seconds faster than ma uh, marathon pace throughout. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, to, to me, that was kind of a signature one. If I could get it done, I knew I was ready to go and by the end of that uh, stretch, I was also very ready to taper. And, you know, when you got your fresh legs, um, it's like, OK, I got a chance to do this for 26.2. And now it's it's very different. It's, I think I've done two by five with my coach um, mm. and we would do a lot of it at marathon pace, but then hope to have legs to run, you know, 10 seconds faster than marathon pace by the end of it. And the, you know, things around it are not as bulky either. So it's just a different, you know, different workout, but it sort of looks the same on paper, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a classic. I love it. I always felt like if, if I or my athletes nailed that one, I'm just like, yes, gold star, <laughs> you know, yeah. get really excited about that one. <laughs> and it, another thing that you um, talked about in the book is that you really don't do really long runs, long, long runs. Um, you're obviously, you have a ton of mileage compared to a recreational runner weekly, but you're not going out there and running, you know, 22, 25, 26 miles in training. And, and, and some elites actually do that. And I would love to hear why that's important to you. Yeah, that philosophy really came from the Hansons as well, where it was like there's so much bulk the rest of the week that the idea was that it's 20 miles, but it's the last 20 miles of the marathon. So, you know, the, the week really adds that first six miles on in, into your legs before you even get started. And then you're covering the rest of the distance. Um, and it's a philosophy, I think, you know, it worked for a really long time. And now I really I've gone up to 26 um, as I was getting ready for a 50K. But for the marathon, yeah. it's still I, I feel like lifetime miles on my leg. It's, it's the same type of thing where I'm like, I probably only need 20 miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you know, one thing I was curious about um you know, when you won Boston, obviously super dramatic in the rain, just a horrible, horrible day. And you crossed the line by yourself. It was just amazing. You could have said, yep, I've done it. This is it. You know, what? <laughs> what's driving you now? What or why do you keep showing up to use one of your phrases? Yeah, um, I, I really enjoy it. I think I've um, mm -hmm. learned how to love the act of running and like the activity of running that wasn't something that really came natural to me i had to like go and find that and i talk about that a lot in in the book where it's just like reinventing that um i'm a runner and reminding myself that it's part of my lifestyle and balancing it with the other things that i want to do uh, but i've i've always loved competing that was the thing that really got me hooked on the sport and I'm still able to do that. And I think, you know, I have to, again, adapt and reinvent to a degree. And, you know, it, maybe it's longer distances, maybe it's chasing master's titles or records. Um, 
you know, maybe it's different terrains, but I, I enjoy competing and, and finding out where my limits are and if I can push them and um, just getting to those tough moments and see how, uh, seeing how I respond to adversity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have some examples over on the men's side of uh, masters runners going to the Olympics. So, you know, it's about time we see it on the women's side too, right? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um, why Boston? You know, there there's lots of marathons out there. You know, it's not like you're from Boston. What makes Boston so magical for you? It was definitely the history. Um, you know, when I got out there for my first marathon, which I was super fortunate, it was the U.S. championship in 2007. So I didn't have to get a BQ. I was able to debut there and um, just being on the course, we went out and did a couple course tours and, you know, get the, the background of the course and some of the landmarks and um, what it's going to be like on race day and how different it is. And, you know, we got in 2007, it was the Nor'easter where they had flirted with the idea of canceling it. And then it wasn't as bad as expected. But I was out there and was like, this is amazing. The crowds are awesome. This is like such a cool experience. And like placing, having these, uh, you know, other races kind of knowing where they took place and the breaks were made and all of these different things. Um, and then I was talking to folks after and they're like, oh, it was terrible this year. Like nobody was out. <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding me? This is like, this was an incredible experience. So when I was able to go back in 11, like that energy and enthusiasm for event just grew um, and kind of snowballed throughout my career. But really, you know, if I had to sum it up, it's the history. I want to tell you about a unique opportunity for you to get stronger, faster, and stay motivated to hit all your running and nutrition goals this year, and that is to join the PR team. I started it last fall, and I have to tell you, it's even better than I imagined. Each member of the team gets a custom training plan made by me for you based on your unique fitness, goals, and lifestyle. Everything you need to crush your running dreams is included, such as strength training, recovery, and even cross-training if you want it. I include weekly mental strength training as well as tips and nutrition guides. But here's where it gets really cool. The group has its own page in the app where we share workouts, ask training questions, and get feedback from me and the other teammates. And each week I create an exclusive private podcast just for the team based on the questions I get and what I see in their training each week. And I usually end up sharing behind the scenes and exclusive sneak peeks with the team that I don't share anywhere else. So instead of joining a Facebook group or sitting through another Zoom call, you get to listen to tailored advice on the run and you don't have to do all of this alone. So if you are ready to take your running to the next level and join an amazing team of runners, head to theplantedrunner.com slash group and join us today. It's more affordable than you think, and I can't wait to have you. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.
You have a podcast uh, that's uh, with Kara Goucher right now that I've been binging. And, you know, you talked about at one point, you know, the 2011 race where you came in second. And, you know, you said at one point, um, had you won, you might have quit at that point. What what do you mean by that? Yeah, I th I think um, it just would have felt easy. I would have been like, well, of course, like, this was pretty easy. I've won one and now like, let's go on to the next thing. Um, and what's the Boston marathon champion equivalent of, I don't know, business life or psychology, being a psychologist or whatever I wanted to do next. Uh, it, it just would have felt like that was enough. And now it's time to find the next challenge. Cause it wouldn't have felt like a, a challenge if it came that easy, to be honest. Well, it certainly hasn't come easy. You, <laughs> you had to wait to the worst weather possible in uh, 2018 uh, to make it happen, but you did. Um, so what is the podcast like? What is doing the podcast with Kara? You know, obviously she is, you know, talented in her own right and, and, and you have a lot of similarities when it comes to your histories. But, you know, podcasting is not necessarily something that you guys just, you know, do you know, for a profession. So what made you guys uh, decide to jump in together on this? Yeah, I think it happened over a Twitter conversation where we were kind of <laughs> debating, um, you know, the, the ins and outs of shoot tech and and some of the pluses and some of the, the cons to it. And it was this Twitter conversation and we were just being very genuine um, not necessarily trying to pat sponsors on the back or say everything is is great in this scenario. And we felt like we had enough to say and also that we were, weren't were afraid to say it. Um, although a lot of people in the space right now, when they're really in competition, it's hard to really vo voice what you what you want to. And mm -hmm. in that it was kind of like we there was an interest from a lot of people in what we were saying. And also we kind of identified that we have so much experience, we have a voice and, you know, this is just another way um, to have a platform. And it was kind of fun because I competed against Kara. Um, we came from two very different groups and I think, you know, just had different perceptions of each other um, throughout the years. And so it was, it was great to actually, it's been great to actually get to know her and not um, what she was painted out to be or, you know, just what we were told she was. And it's been, mm -hmm. it's been really fun that we're very, we're actually quite similar because how it was portrayed was always that we were very polar opposites and different. So. Right. I mean, we assume that y'all are just friends that you've known each other for years, but it, it's really sort of interesting. Like, Oh, you, these people don't really even know each other. They're getting to know each other in front of us. And that's kind of the magic of it. It's really, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. So, you know, one thing you talked about that I uh, want to get into is that um, you never really got into um, the trap of disordered eating like so many of your peers. You know, it's really hard not to like even somebody who is so strong and sure of herself, you know, can fall into the trap of disordered eating when everybody around you seems to be doing it. And you got to wear those tiny little bathing suits to go compete in, you know. So how did you escape that? I feel like I've always 
been really comfortable in my own skin. And part of what makes me me is not caring what other people think and not kind of doing something because everyone else is doing it. I think I've always taken a lot of pride in finding my own way. And, you know, I think in the the first chapter, the early chapters, this, this outsider mentality, I'm very comfortable with it. And I feel like I was always kind of an outsider. So if this made me an outsider, mm-hmm. um, I was, that was kind of my place anyhow. And, um, you know, I, I always just had, I feel like I had a really good perspective on that. This is a, a sport, like it's supposed to be fun. Um, and a lot of that came from my relationship with my father. And also, uh, I also remember a lot of conversations with my father that, you know, it was like, if you don't fuel, if you don't eat, you just don't get to play. And it was sort of something that he hung over my head, which could go a lot of different ways. But for me, it was very, it became very practical. Like, oh yeah, you have to put fuel into the machine if you want to get it to go. Um, and that always stuck with me. So I, I definitely can see how it can be a challenging thing for a lot of people. And I, I understand that lightness is rewarded in a weird way in our sport. But um, mm-hmm. from a long-term perspective, it's no one has shortcutted evolutionary biology just yet. Like, I haven't seen it work out. Um, <laughs> right long-term for, for, for anyone really, it like comes back and then you have to solve it and then you can move forward again. So, um, you know, a marathon lesson when you're really long, young is let's just have some patience here and that's going to give you the longevity. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that, um, I was able to kind of sidestep that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You still, though, have to obviously pay attention to what you eat. You know, you have to pay attention to make sure that you're eating enough and, you know, that it matches your training. You're obviously at the highest level. So I'm sure you've worked with professionals to make sure that you're eating correctly. So how how do you actually do it or is or are you just a lot more casual with it? I'm probably the most casual you're going to find. It's just like, uh, <laughs> you know, if you feel yourself getting hungry, fill up the tank. I think when I'm really in, in heavy, heavy training, um, it's it's so much more important to make sure I have something versus the right thing. It's always mm. try to have the right food first. And so you stock your fridge accordingly and hope to have, you know, whole foods and um, less bags and boxes and more real food. So that's sort of large scale philosophy. Um, and then, you know, when your real life hits you and you're traveling or something pops up, um, I was, I traveled to Brooks for an event recently and there was a testing that I had to do, but part of the thing was that I couldn't eat up to two hours before Mm. the testing. So, my testing was at eight and I was on East coast time. I got up at five in the morning. I'm like, nothing is open. Like, but this is kind of me to a T like I wasn't going to starve because I was really hungry. And when I'm hungry, I'm moody and cranky. So rifling through my bag. <laughs> and the only thing I had was a Snickers bar. So I was like, well, is this a Snickers bar for breakfast? And that's bizarre. And that's worst case scenario. But like, I would rather have the wrong thing, but you know, feel like like I yeah. have something in my stomach and that I can function. So not very dialed, not very scientific, but gets it gets it done. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's okay. So what is your pre-race breakfast? 
Um, I usually have a bagel with peanut butter and then uh, like a side of white rice. White rice is always kind of the go-to the night before. Um, some pasta. It's just like a really simple carb, easily digestible, um, mm -hmm. and hasn't hasn't had, uh, caused me any GI distress yet. So knock on wood. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So um, at, and at one point in your story, you're talk, talking about um, your race bottles. So you are mixing your race bottles, you're coloring them a certain way for each station that, you know, that's, there's a whole science to that. So <laughs> and then, of course, you missed some of the bottles and, you know, it's it's a great read. Everybody should should read about this story. But so what are you planning on doing differently this year at Boston? <laughs> yeah, I think it's it really boiled down to like my headspace prior to the race race just um, wasn't focused on racing. It was focused on so many other things. And uh, so I sort of just made them and then hand them off to um, my agent's wife, who was like, I'll take them down to the check them in for you. And like in my mind, they were in the order they were always in. But she didn't know that order because why would she? Uh, mm -hmm. So it's just doing it myself and making sure that I have that order lined out properly because that's like what I was anticipating. Like, well, this is how they always are. Why wouldn't they be like that? But the night before, I was not doing things the way I had always done them. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course, so now we got to ask you, what's your post race meal? What do you eat afterwards? Yeah, so I do the um, protein recovery shake. You know, just as close as I can to the finish where your stomach's not like rebelling. Um, but I use a power bar uh, shake. That's like a recovery mix. And that's like the first thing because solids don't sound great right away. And then um, go and have the, the food for fun. It's uh, my agent. And I used to do these power bar panels for a long time and it was food for function beforehand, food for fun afterwards. Um, and so the, the fun food is I think usually a, a burger with cheese, jalapenos, all the, things that you couldn't have before <laughs> um and a, and a beer for sure yeah maybe some champagne out of a shoe maybe that's right <laughs> <laughs> that's right so what advice would you give somebody who's running boston for the first time oh goodness there's so much to learn um i feel like one you should read the book because there's a lot of course tips in there that might help you out uh two um, practice some downhills when you're training. I think a lot of people mm. think of the Newton Hills as I got to get ready for the Newton Hills or these big climbs. And that's the challenging part. It's true, but it's a lot of the downhills that really make the last 10 K so hard because you come out of the Newton Hills, which almost feel like a relief for your quad because you're going up instead of down. And then you go back downhill at that last section. And, and if you've gone out too hard or if you haven't trained your quads for what that's going to feel like um that downhill doesn't feel that nice it actually is a you're just bracing mm -hmm. yourself for every biting step so get some downhills in there and and i think don't go out too hard there's just an energy to boston that um makes people think it's their day and the downhills sort of pull you early so you feel like oh this is so easy i'm having my moment this is when i knock 30 minutes off of my time or something outrageous but <laughs> right. give yourself a, a pace governing chip so that you're you're not going too hard those uh first early miles. Yeah. Yeah. Any other advice for toughening up those quads? Because downhill training on downhill is great, but it's also very hard and you can't do a ton of it because you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. So any other advice for really, really toughening them up? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you got to sprinkle that in and, you know, make sure that's not too aggressive. Um, and for me, it's always like the early parts of the training seg- uh, cycle and then you kind of taper them out. Um, and that's, you know, you have them sort of prepared for the rest of the build and like kind of as they would be for the rest of the race. Um, I'm sure there's like gym work that's great. And uh, another thing with Boston that's really interesting is they uh, do muscle. They've done muscle biopsies afterwards. And I believe the hamstrings, although the quads really hurt, the hamstrings are the ones that are more damaged. So working on your hamstrings Mm. in the gym is also um, really right way to kind of attack that. Yeah, for sure. And and what about the weather? Like, how do you prepare for the weather? So, you know, obviously you could get a crap day, you could get a hot day, you get a sunny day. There's lots of points on the Boston course where there's absolutely no shade and it's miserable if it's hot. So how do you how do you prepare for that? You know, if you're training in a hot climate, training in a cold climate, you know, a lot of people show up and they're just like completely unprepared for really bad weather. Yeah, I, I think for the cold weather, it's the right gear and knowing what that's going to be um, you know, for that really windy, wet day. I think a lot of people picked like waterproof jackets, but then you start heating up and you're like, well, I don't need this anymore. And you throw it off too early, but you still really need it. So it's like finding the right piece that's going to let you um, be comfortable out there and, and keep you at the right temperature all day. So there's equipment on the cold side. On the hot side, I think a lot of the problems people run into is they're training in cold climates. It's a winter training segment. And then spring, you can get a 65 degree day in Boston. But when you've been training in mm-hmm. 30 or 15 or whatever it may be, it, that 65 feels like 85. Um, so 10 days out or so, I think reminding your body how to sweat is pretty important and you can do that with just a few extra layers um maybe a sauna something like that and just it's uh getting that body dialed into that sweating process again and and that's how we um self-regulate our temperature out there so that'll help a ton and it doesn't have to be crazy it's like a 10-day thing where you just sort of add it in and um then obviously amp up hydration with that too if you're losing a lot of of sweat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in Boston this year, um, what will you define as success for you? When you cross the finish line um, this April, what will you say to yourself? Yeah, that was a good day. What would it take? I think if I'm just gassed, you know, like I think it's it's hard um, to know what the placement will look like or, you know, where I'm going to be competing. But maximizing my fitness and training is obviously the first step getting to the line healthy um and then just knowing like every step i've exerted myself right where i needed to and i never threw in the towel or said like lost the battle of the bargaining where you go like i'm just gonna back off for a little bit here no one's really gonna know um just being able to answer that honestly at the end and say yeah no i i was on the gas the whole time i left it all out there that that would be a, a successful day for me Awesome. Well, I think that is a perfect way to wrap this up. I know you've got lots of these things to do, so I want to be respectful of your time. So the book Choosing to Run comes out April 4th. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And then Boston a couple weeks later. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the book. I've written one myself and they are harder than marathons for (laughs) sure. I'm one and done, I think. (laughs) How about you? You got another one in you? Good question. I got to go do some more uh, life things, some more fun, cool stuff, and then we'll see if it's uh, interesting enough to put on a page. 
Awesome. Well, Des Linden, this has been an absolute honor and a treat. Thank you so much for being generous with your time and uh, best of luck with both the book in Boston and of course the podcast and um, everything else that you're doing. Thank you so much. And now it's time for the Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Today's topic is keep showing up. A phrase made famous by Des Linden, this simply means consistency is the most important part of achieving anything. You will not have a great day every single day or even most of the days, but the more often you show up and give it a try, the better you will become. So if it's too hot or too cold or too rainy for your run, dress appropriately and go run anyway. There will be days when you don't feel like running, but unless you are sick or too sore or injured, a run will feel better once you've done it, even if it's slower or shorter than you had originally planned. Because your training is never about just one run. It's about all the runs that you showed up for. Thank you for listening to The Planted Runner. Don't forget, you can win a copy of my book for leaving an Apple podcast review. So be sure to write yours right after your run today. Reviews are the number one way to boost this show's reach, and it's a great way to tell me what you'd like to hear next because I read every single one. Have a great run today. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, AKA their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you.